One of the saltiest races on Breeders' Cup weekend will be the Philly and Mare Sprint. On this show, we'll talk with the owners of two of the major contenders, Unique Bella and Curlin's Approval. So don't go anywhere because In the Gate is coming up next. They're in the gate. They're in the gate. In the gate. They're in the gate. It's a head-bobbing finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. She would have been the favorite for the Kentucky Oaks. Unique Bella by five. Abel Tasman coming home strongly to second. Turning for home. And Smith hasn't asked Unique Bella for anything yet. She leads three lengths. Left-handed whip from Talamo on Abel Tasman. And she's coming after Unique Bella. Unique Bella being tackled by Abel Tasman. And Unique Bella now feels the whip from Smith at the 16th pole. Immediately responds. The threat from Abel Tasman is subsiding. And Unique Bella, after having to be livened up briefly at the 8th pole, takes the set. Isabel two and a half lengths. Able Tasman a game second. But following that win, Unique Bella developed a shin problem and missed several months of training. Had she won the Oaks, it would have been part of a statement-making weekend for her largely unknown ownership group, the Don Alberto Stable, which is owned by the Solari family of Chile. They also have Battle of Midway, who finished third behind Always Dreaming in the Kentucky Derby. Unique Bella has returned and took a minor stakes at Santa Anita in early October as a prep for the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. For some perspective on her, we welcome in Fabricio Buffolo of Don Alberto Stable, who joins us here on In the Gate. How did you assess Unique Bella's first start in seven months, that win at Santa Anita in the L.A. Woman Stakes? It was, of course, like uh, something that we were looking uh, a lot of expectations coming up to the race because uh, we know that she she's, she works well and she's always worked great. But there was expectations coming to the race as how she would handle a lot of the time that she had off. But she did it perfectly. It definitely moved her up quite a bit because she needed like a run. There is no doubt that the race coming up, the Breeders' Cup, on the Philly Mary Spring, is going to be a very tough race for her. Definitely her toughest competition so far and um we're just looking at the at the pre like the entries so far you know you have five grade one winners there and it's a very very strong field yeah you're gonna see two potential breeders cup winners from last year in finest city the defending champ and champagne room curlin's approval finley's lucky charm by the moon how do you assess her chances against them Karina Mia, there's a lot of nice horses and it's a very big challenge for her, especially coming from a, a long layoff. She's been working well and she won that her last race, but no doubt that the others are much more seasoned than her. So it's like you're running against you know, grade one winners that have been running constantly in the last few months and it's definitely an advantage that they have. We hopefully we hope that she she will handle very well. 
The parent company of Don Alberto Stable is Bethia Holdings in Chile. Bethia's subsidiaries also offer grocery retailing, banking, and transportation. In other words, minor industries that nobody cares about. <laughs> Their biggest splash off the track here in the States came four years ago when they bought the Vinery, one of the landmark thoroughbred farms in Lexington, Kentucky. What kind of an adjustment was it for Don Alberto to operate here in the United States? Um, it is still, I think, I believe, from our point of view, it's still a learning curve. It's a relatively young operation. You say four years for, you know it very well, four years, it's almost nothing. You know, you, you, you have kind of one or two crops that are going through the farm. And uh, it's a relatively new um, operation for everybody. And for them as well, you know, going to the sales, selling horses, breeding them here in the U.S. and how things work, it's a learning curve for everybody. And for them, coming from Chile, there's a lot of differences as well in the way that things are, are done, like the sales and, you know, racing. There's a lot of differences. Like what? Uh, the sales, for example, is one, it's one uh, point that is a little bit different that mainly in South America, Nowadays, you see here, you know, here is at the end of the day, is one sales company that you know, a lot of people come and sell. There, the past was mainly each farm did their own sale. So comparing here, it would be like if Claiborne did one sale with 50 horses, just them, you know, and then another farm did a sale just them for all of 50, 100 horses. And that's the model that was that is done that and, and it, it has changed a little bit. You have more like select sales and people gathering to have one sale. And that happened like in Brazil and Argentina. But you still have a little bit of the old model, which, you know, slowly it's going to probably be changing in the next few years. The whole process is very different. You know, the way that, you know, we have here a repository and that it, it doesn't happen there in South America. Speaking of those sales here in the United States, Don Alberto led the way in buying at the Keeneland November sale in 2013 and then again the next year. Don Alberto's also been active around the world in breeding. How does the Lexington property and the U.S. sales fit into Don Alberto's overall racing and breeding strategy? We are definitely like the farm here in Lexington is the main point for the whole Northern Hemisphere operation. We have our office at Vinery. Also, I don't know if you, you, you've been to Vinery, but then there also like a Crestwood, there was a neighbor. So they, were, they acquired part of Crestwood and that made almost double the size of what it was, the, 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 the original Vinery, which was great for the operation and the number of mares that they have right now. Right now, we have just a few horses in Europe, a few brood mares, and a few horses in training with John Gosden. The idea is to keep a little bit of that uh, going on since they are there. Like Conco, I, I remember, I, I don't know if you were familiar with the horse Conco, they raced in, in, in Europe. He won a great two for, for John Gosden there, and he's here now in America. He's going through to Winstar for just a, a little bit of, pre of training, and then he's going to go to Chad Brown. So that's the idea. The horses that do well there, mainly if they have 
a second career here in the U.S., we would bring them here and, and keep racing. Fabrizio Bofolo, executive director of Don Alberto Stable, joins us here on In the Gate. They'll send out Unique Bella in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. The racing bug goes back a couple of generations in Don Alberto to Alberto Solari. He loved racing, and then his daughter Liliana started the operation back in 1987. Now, for most owners, racing is a luxury, a pastime, not one that's designed necessarily to make money how does don alberto approach the racing and breeding components very it's a it's a very it's diverse they are absolutely they are very passionate very passionate about racing but mostly they are passionate about the animals and they are passionate about the horses they have kind of what we follow uh, everywhere and in chile and here in europe our first goal is to have Every horse healthy and in good in good shape. They are very very careful about how we treat horses. Regarding the operation right now in North America, it's a, bit, a little bit of a mix of everything. They definitely enjoy racing, but also like this year we had almost 30 yearlings going through the sales, and sold a, a good part of them. So it's going to be a mix. We have uh, plenty of horses at the sales. Uh, we're going to be active at the sales, maybe buying, but also retaining some horses to race. Maybe some fillies that we need to, we want to have the families and have our, as good mares in the end, or even some coats. Uh, so it's going to be a mix of everything. They love every aspect of, uh, of the industry, which uh, makes it uh, a pleasure to work for a, for a family like that. One of those horses that races for you is Battle of Midway. Battle of Midway moves well on the far side, comes to take them on. Then we come back to Gormley, Climpstone, hands did not go on. They're at the top of the lane now. Battle of Midway gets a tap on the shoulder and he just explodes to the lead. And it's all Battle of Midway telling them, you've got to come and catch me, you want to win this one. Gato Dolaro is racing in second. It's the 16th to go and they would need to sprout wings to get to Battle of Midway. Battle of Midway and Flavion Prod way too good in the shared belief stakes. Third in the Kentucky Derby. He won two stakes this summer and finished second most recently in the Grade 3 Oklahoma Derby. Are you keeping him in training? Uh, we still we have him in partnership with uh, Wingstar. So it's something that we're going to have to discuss with our partners. We know that there will be a tough race for him. We just got a dirt mile with the likes of More Spirit and maybe Practical Joke and Sharp Attack and those horses. It's a tough, tough race. Hopefully, he's going to have a good result. That's what we are hoping for. But it's something that we have to, to discuss and after the race, make a plan. And what about for Unique Bella? Have you thought about plans for her beyond the Breeders' Cup? Yes, the idea, the idea is mainly race her next year. We, we look forward to, to run her next year, to be honest, because she didn't have enough opportunities this year. But it's definitely an approach that we take race by race and see now her, now after the Breeders' Cup how she's going to come out of it. If she comes out of it 100%, we're definitely considering keeping her in training and run next year because she has plenty of races to come. Well, they certainly could have made a big statement, the two of them, for you at Kentucky Derby Weekend this year, but another shot for them at the Breeders' Cup. And the best of luck to you, Fabrizio Buffolo. Thank you so much for a few minutes. Thank you, Barry. Anytime. 
We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, we'll be joined by one of Muhammad Ali's best friends who just happens to train a pretty salty horse named Curlin's Approval. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the In the Gate podcast. There aren't too many people I know who are happy to see orange cones on the highway. That usually means road construction, and construction means travel delays. But I do know one guy who loves seeing orange cones, orange drums, barricades, flags, and signs. That guy would be Edward Happy Alter, whose South Florida-based business is the largest supplier of roadwork equipment in the country. That success has allowed Happy to be, well, happy. He owns and breeds racehorses, not just orange cones, and one of his runners has a date to run for a championship. Less than a quarter of a mile to go in the Princess Rooney and Curlin's approval. And Louis Sayas come away with the lead. In between horses, it's Dearest on the far outside and Distinta. Lightstream begins to hit her best stride and so does Bird at the wire. There's an eighth of a mile to go and Curlin's approval pulling out everything she has. Curlin's approval now by three. Curlin's approval now by four. It's Curlin's approval on her way to the Breeders' Cup with an easy win in the Princess Rooney. Curlin's approval followed up that win at the Summit of Speed in early July with a disappointing sixth in the Ballerina at Saratoga. She won a minor stake back home at Gulfstream, but now Curlin's approval goes for the gusto, the Breeders' Cup filly and mare sprint, and we welcome to the show for the first time her owner and breeder, Happy Alter. If Curlin's approval makes it to the starting gate, she'll be your first Breeders' Cup starter. How do you think that will feel? Well, I've had uh, some good horses through the years. One was voted the number one horse in the nation for about six months, and that was with the same Bridalwood Farm, only different ownership than it is now. And the name of that horse was Jolie's Halo. Jolie's Halo takes command. Jolie's Halo on the outside, I believe, holds on and wins it. So the fact that Kerwin's approval uh, won one of the races that was winning your in the $250,000 Princess Rooney and got to automatically be in the Breeders' Cup, shows that she's qualified. And then I had a little stake race that I used as part of her training program, $50,000, and I would she won quite easily because we missed time buried during the hurricane in Florida training time and and, and uh, a lot of days that the track was too bad to to risk going on so I had to use that 50,000 as a part of the prep coming towards this important Breeders' Cup race. So you wouldn't have done it that way had business been as usual in South Florida? No, no, no. If, if business had been as usual, weather-wise, in South Florida, I would have just come directly to the Breeders' Cup. But because of the fact that there was a month apart from that 50000 that she dominated in and won, I used that as a prep race to try to make up for the time lost from the hurricane. And prior to the hurricane, the, the heavy storms and rains and after that and so it, sometimes you just have to flow and go the way 
things are going and make your changes to adapt to whatever the conditions are. Well, for several decades, you actually did train horses. First of all, were you operating an outside business while you trained? Well, let me explain this to you. The history of horse racing and trainers going back to the mm, mid-1800s or on to the 1900s and so on, trainers always started early, early in the morning because they had other jobs to do afterwards, uh, whatever that might be. I, I'm not a, a gambler, so I train... I trained late in the morning. I learned that from Cassius Clay that then became Muhammad Ali. When he was going to Manila, he came down to try to have me come with him. And I said, why are you going so early to train? He said, happy. I want to train in the conditions I'm going to fight in. It's going to be 116 degrees in the Philippines in Manila when I fight. I want to train in that condition. And I don't know if you watched the thrower in Manila. Of course. But as Joe Fraser was running out of steam from the heat, Muhammad was pop, pop, popping, jabbing, moving, doing the Ali shuffle. And where did that come from? It came from training in those conditions. So when you run in places and it's 90 degrees, like in Del Mar, it was 96 degrees. When you run, or 98 degrees, when you run in those conditions, you don't want, I don't want to go out in the dark and then bring the horse out and shock him and, and run late um, when he didn't train late. So I, I train late, and yes, I built up uh, a business with a, a partner in training. The track at most places closes at 9.30 or 10 in the morning, depending on where you are. That's the end of the training, and then you cool the horse out and you take care of it and see that everything is done that the horse needs and then it's time for the for the uh, breakfast, lunch, food or brunch and then the horse relaxes and and uh, I find it very stimulating to be a businessman at the same time. Yeah, I'd read a New York Times article that you were an intimate friend of the late great Muhammad Ali. How did you become friends with him? I was going to the gym called Fifth Street Gym in um, on Miami Beach, and I wanted to be able to fight the big football players at the school when they had those side type of fights from the fraternities and this and that. I, I was going to the gym and training there, and one day Cassius Clay came into the gym and three or four reporters followed him, and they said, Cassius, now that you're turning pro because you have signed your first pro fight, you can't dance and duck and weave and get on your bicycle in the ring. This is the pros. You're going to get paid. And I said, hey, guys, you just won the gold medal in the Olympics. So far, he's done everything he said he could do. Just why don't you leave him alone and watch and see. So he turned to me and said, you can talk for me anytime. I said, you don't need anyone to talk for you. He said, get a date tonight. I'll get a date. We'll go out. We'll be friends. So it started there. And then when I went to Kentucky for some races, our, our horse for the Derby, they called him and said, is, is Happy really your friend? And uh, he said, one of my 
top three friends that I have in my lifetime. So the governor came to meet me, and she made me uh, Kentucky colonel. Now, that might be, you know, there might be many, many Kentucky colonels, but we got along well, and it was nice. And when I got married, I went around the world on my honeymoon, and there was no part of the world that I went that they didn't have a picture of him up, probably the most recognized man on the universe. I heard you also traveled pretty far and wide just to watch him fight. Well, he would always pick the tickets for me and for a date wherever I was, wherever the fight was. A lot of times uh, when they cleared the dressing room before a fight, he would say, just security and happy stay and walk in the, in the entourage sometimes going in. But he was a good man to all. It didn't matter what religion, what color. He was good to... Um, everybody and an inspiration for youth both white and black and Chinese and from any walk of life he was uh, he was wonderful to um, people that needed it wonderful to children and really gave them an inspiration but anyways the parallel here is that he believed in training and the conditions that you're going to fight in he was also known to make extemporaneous rhymes. Some might call it rap. And the article that I read said that you took after your hero. Do you still no. do that? Well, it wasn't my hero. He was my friend. The hero was for the fans. When your friends, friends aren't asking for autographs and aren't asking for things, no. They asked me about Muhammad Ali and some of the things that I liked what he said. So, and going back, I would, you know, I would say some of the things that always made me smile and laugh that he would come up with. If you want to mix, I'll end it in six. If I hear any more jive, you go in five. If you want more, I'll end it in four. Just different things like that. You quote like a butterfly, sting like a bee. You cannot hit what you cannot see. All of those things are what the youth of America loved. And he, he really, for the most part, made true his predictions. He would call he would call a certain round to knock his opponent out and get him in trouble. and if he got him in trouble before that, he would back off and hold up the round he called and have to do it all over again. <laughs> they say they say and I agree, top athlete of the century. Tough to argue with that. We're talking with owner and breeder Happy Alter here on In the Gate. He'll send out Curlin's approval in the Philly and Mare Sprint. Well, let me let me let me let me just correct you, as Muhammad Ali would correct Howard Cosell. Partner, owner, trainer, and breeder. That's a lot of hats to wear. Yeah, but you left out. No, it's not. Because ownership and breeder go together and trainers training is something that I love to do. I chose that. I don't play golf. I don't go out on yachts. I don't play tennis. I've always enjoyed training and horses and everything has to be watched. Everything has to be analyzed from anything from needing the dentist to float the teeth to the feed program to the blacksmith, to the vets, to everything. Everything is covering the bases and in business. I'm thankful that I've been successful because I always do the same thing. And so it is, and, and whatever we do, and make sure that 
actually do it correctly. It's it's, it's so so important. Do you remember I Maria Iacocco? Of course, from Chrysler. Okay, so so years ago, my mother had a children's shop in the Fountain Blue Hotel. That was during the time of Sinatra and all that. So Cassius Clay went down to my mom's shop and said, I want to surprise Happy Coleman. Tell me you'd like to see him, and I'll hide in in uh, your stock room. So I came down, and he, he liked to pop out, like, you know, uh, magic and so on. And uh, he said, come on, let's go upstairs. We'll do some girl watching. We went up, and we're standing there and watching, and all of a sudden, a well-dressed gentleman with an attache and two other men, one on either side with attaches, come walking. He says, who's that dude? So I said, oh, that's Leah Coco. He's a big business tycoon, you know, and I was young at the time. And so as Leah Coco was walking by, he saw it was Ali, and he said, champ. And he came over and shook his hand, and Ali said, say hello to my friend, Happy. And he shook hands with me, and I said, uh, let me ask you one question. For a young man that wants to go into the business world, what's the best advice that you can give him? He said, a legal pad. Have all your people, your key people, have a legal pad. Let them write something down. When they've completed it, cross it off, and go on to the next thing. And that way they're not going to forget it. Here's before everyone would have computers and all the iPhones and all the different things. So, so, you know, I use that in practice, and that's covering the basis. And the same thing with the horses, whether you're shipping, you want a list of everything to ship with, and you want to cover everything, and really that's that's what it takes. So, um, you know, we all we all try to do our best, and there's certain people that, as my partner in my business says, that shoot from the hip, and there's people that aim at the target, and that's... Uh, that's what it's all about. What do you think led to Curlin's approval finishing sixth in the grade one ballerina? Well, if you watch the gate in the gate and you watch what happened to her in the gate and as a result, cut her leg and had to be put under at that time antibiotics, you'll know what happened to her. I was wondering what happened to the great Philly all silver lining, finished right with us, fifth and sixth with us in that race. All silver lining, to me, would probably be the favorite in this race. Well, th- I mean, the Philly and Mare Sprint, I think, is the saltiest race on this entire card. This is a tremendous race uh, with the horses we just mentioned, Finest City, Unique Bella, Bar of Gold, Karina Mia, By the Moon, Finley's Lucky Charm. This is a pretty salty race. How do you size up the competition here? I respect the competition. Previous Cup races are the best of the best. And that's what makes it such a great day. And I think that as I respect them, they respect us. I think we've won more than 50% of our races with her. If you check that, you'll see that I'm right. They say, what do they say about football? You being with ESPN on any given day? What do they? What's the end of it, Barry? Anybody can win. And yes, uh, 
Curlin's approval has seven wins and 13 career starts. So, yes, more than 50%. Right. And her times when she won the Princess Rooney, I think it was the 7 eighths was, what, 122 and change? The final time was 121.68. Okay. Now, find me another one like that in the race. I think that the unique horse that Tommy would be the favorite, and she ran, and I respect her, but I think on the, on the California Santa Anita track, going six and a half, I think she went 112 and changed for the three quarters. Yeah, she ran the uh, 110.14. Oh, it was 110? Yep, 110.14. Now go back to the Princess Rooney, the 121 and change. What was the three quarters? Let's go to the Princess Rooney. Let's go to the chart for that. And the three quarters for that was 109.24, 109 and 1. Not on California. Not a California track. What is and what did Unique go on the California faster track? One ten point one four. So according yep. to this, Curlin's approval should be the faster horse. Mm-hmm. You know, we always have to count on no mistakes in the gate coming out of the gate. No mistakes on the jockey's behalf. I'll present the ready horse. What kind of celebration do you have planned if she's able to win the Philly and Mare Sprint? I never plan celebrations beforehand. I just show a feeling of appreciation and the fact that I had had her ever since from the time she was in her 11 months in her mother's belly and from the time she was pulled, from the time she first came to the racetrack and training her, I just have all that appreciation and and I'm very thankful and to be able to be a proud partner with John Malone and the breeder and trainer of this horse who I think is very special. Our thanks to Happy Alter and to Fabrizio Buffolo. At this year's Breeders' Cup, it may be hard to tell which horses are based in Europe and which have American faces. The reason is that so many European horses are named for American people, things, and places. There's Washington, D.C. in the turf sprint. Will he get bogged down like everyone else in that town? Wouldn't that be perf? How about James A. Garfield? Who knew our 20th president would have a chance to win the juvenile turf? Garfield may be joined in that race by U.S. Navy flag, who just won the Dewhurst in a dominating manner. There's also Home of the Brave, an ode to our national anthem, whose father was aptly named Star Spangled Banner. European horses with American names are not new. We had George Washington and Toast of New York. I suppose with names like that, their owners had to bring them over. Should we here name horses Paris, Madrid, and Cork? You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. 
for the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. Remember to join us tomorrow as our daily countdown to the Breeders' Cup continues. But for now, that's In The Gate. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you tomorrow.